Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. To our new listeners, welcome. To our old listeners, welcome back. Another episode of Magical Education awaits you. But first, we would like to say a few words. Nitwit. Blubber. Oddment. Tweak. Podcast 9 and 3 quarters topic of the week is... What would Hermione be like as a D&D character? Hello listeners, I'm Rhea, and this week I'm bringing the Dungeons and Dragons knowledge. And hi listeners, I'm Jem, and this week I'll be bringing the Hermione knowledge because I don't know anything about Dungeons and Dragons. Okay, this episode started as a bit of a joke, but we kind of got carried away with the idea. We wanted to do an analysis of Hermione's character, and we're like, well, what framework should we use for analysing Hermione? Um, why not the Dungeons and Dragons role-playing game? <laughs> Let's do that. It started off, I wanted to know what sort of moral alignment Hermione was, because she's so all over the shop. And then it sort of escalated from there to Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, Dungeons and Dragons has a very interesting system for morality, I guess. And then we were just like, maybe an entire episode... <laughs> of this. Just to be clear, I'm I'm going to be using the 5th edition player's handbook. I'm relying on Rhea this week as the resident nerd here for D&D knowledge because I literally have never played the game. I have very little understanding of how the game works or what's going on. <laughs> That's fair enough. It's kind of complicated, but we'll <laughs> but we'll soldier on through. We're going to be skipping over things and just skimming it, because we mainly want to focus on Hermione and not the minutiae of how to play D&D. Right. Hermione Jean Granger. Hermione Jean Granger. Let's go. There's five steps to how you build a character in Dungeons & Dragons. One, you choose a race. Two, you choose a class. Three, you figure out your ability scores. Four, you describe your character. And then five, you choose your equipment. Okay. Okay. Step number one. What race is Hermione Jean Granger? A complicated question. Ooh. Well, she's human, <laughs> first of all, but then she's yep. also a wizard. Yep. So how does that work in D&D? That's a class. Okay, right. All so right. how D&D works is there are nine basic races. Dwarves, elves, halflings, humans, dragonborns, gnomes, half-elves, half-orcs, and tieflings. Okay. We can go through all of those briefly if you want to. I think I get or it. Or I could just tell you which ones I think most suit Hermione and then we can do those ones. Okay, well, which ones do you think most suit Hermione? I would say human, first of all. Human seems like a pretty obvious one. And the other one that I think might suit Hermione is a half-elf. Huh. Human leaps out to me as Hermione because Hermione's human in the books. And the main traits of a human is that they're, like, versatile, adaptable, they build lasting institutions, and that they're ambitious and adventurous. Mm -hmm. So in D&D, your human is just sort of like your nothing character. Not nothing <laughs> character, your everything character. They can sort of do anything. Their abilities are just sort of like, they're kind of okay at everything. They're not particularly built to be like a barbarian or a rogue or any of the particular classes. They can just sort of be anything you want. They're your average Joe. Yeah, your average Joe. 
Yeah, the most distinctive thing about them is that they tend to be a bit short, more short-lived than some of the other races, because things like dwarves and elves and stuff live for a really long time. So to compensate for that, they build lasting institutions, like uh, temples and universities and things like that, which last for centuries and centuries, because mm -hmm. human lives don't last that long. Yeah. yeah. That idea appeals to Hermione's dedication to things like Hogwarts, the library. Yeah. Even sort of her eventually joining the Ministry of Magic is reflected in that. Yeah. I think that suits her. The other option is the half-elf. The half-elf is literally half-human, half-elf. So you've got one parent of each, or mixed lineage somewhere in your, somewhere back in your line. I think this race best fits with Hermione's Muggleborn heritage, because there's not really a one-to-one -one for a Muggleborn in Dungeons & Dragons. Mm -hmm. You tend to either, you have magic or you don't, doesn't really matter if your parents have magic and you don't, it's not a thing. Half-elves are most defined by the fact that they are sort of of two worlds. Their lifespans are a bit different to both human lifespans and elf lifespans, so if they're living amongst the elves, they'll age much more quickly than those around them and sort of become alienated from their friends because of that. Yeah. And if they're living amongst humans, the same thing, but they age much slower than all the humans. So yeah. they don't really fit in wherever they are. Yeah, I personally think that she's more suited to a human race, because although I do like what you drew parallel there with the half-elf uh, identity and her Muggleborn identity, I think that the more defining traits of her character are her passion for knowledge and for friendship and building lasting institutions and things like that, rather than her displacement in the Muggle world and in the magical world, which I think she actually quits, fits quite well into the magical world, as far as we know. Yeah, as far as we see, we she, she completely abandons the Muggle world and does not look back. Yeah. She integrates herself very well. Yeah, I would agree that Hermione's like, Muggle-born heritage is a huge part of her character, but it's not, I would say, her defining part. So mm. I can see why you'd go human over half-elf. I think that's fair. Next step, we need to choose her class. So in Dungeons & Dragons, your class is basically like your career. Yeah. So... You can choose to be whatever you want. You can be a tiny little gnome and you can choose to be like a barbarian and there's no one being like, no, you're not being strong enough to be a barbarian. No, you can just choose whatever you want to do. <laughs> nice. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there's 12 basic classes. Barbarian, bard, cleric, druid, fighter, monk, paladin, ranger, rogue, sorcerer, warlock, and wizard. Okay. All right. Um... <laughs> Well, I heard a few that were like warlock, druid, wizard. They're all like magical people, right? Yes, that's right. Of the 12 classes, eight of them deal with magic. Okay. So I think <laughs> you sort of immediately eliminate things like fighter and rogue because Hermione's a magical character. That's yeah. who she is. So we'll just the magic classes. Of the magical classes, I think the best fits for Hermione are either a sorcerer or a wizard. Okay, what's a sorcerer? A sorcerer is someone who has raw magic. Right. So their power is innate in who they are. They're born being able to do magic. It's a, just a part of them. Yeah. The most important thing to figure out for a sorcerer is the origin of their magic and how it shapes who they are. The other option is a wizard. All right. What's a wizard then? A wizard is someone who learns their power. So their magic comes to them through scholarship. So the basic difference is that a sorcerer is born with the magic already inside of them. 
And a wizard is someone who yeah. chooses to go to school and learn how to become a wizard and studies it. In right, yeah. okay. So they're scholars who, aside from adventuring, can often be found in working in libraries or universities. Rather than a sorcerer where they have to figure out where their magic came from, usually when you're writing the background of which you're a wizard, you would have some kind of dramatic event, which is what drove them to choose to study magic. So of those two options, sorcerer or wizard, which do you think sounds most like Hermione? I would say wizard, because although Hermione is born with her magic, that's canon in the stories, I think that it's more Hermione-ish to be a studier of magic and to like devote herself to the cause of magic. And I think that's very part of her character. I agree 100%. I think the closest class that fits who she is as a person is the wizard class. Because it's all about studying and learning. But then again, if I were designating Harry a class, I would give him Sorcerer. Because his sort of um, ability with magic isn't through necessarily through intense study. Most of his abilities come from natural talent and things like that. Whereas Hermione works her ass off to learn all the spells and to be knowledgeable in the magical world. So that's why I would give her the wizard class, the witch class. Yeah. I don't know if female wizards are called witches or if everyone's just a wizard. Well, we can call her a witch. There's, I was just about to say, there's no rules in D&D. That's a lie. <laughs> there's lots of rules. But the thing about D&D is it's kind of like, hey, I'm Dumbledore and it's the end of the year and the rules don't matter. You can just sort of decide what you want to do. <laughs> the first thing you do when you're building a wizard is you decide what sort of extraordinary event dominates their backstory, basically. All right. Yeah. What it says in the um, player's handbook is, creating a wizard character demands a backstory dominated by at least one extraordinary event. How did your character first com come into contact with magic? How did you discover you had an aptitude for it? Blah, 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 blah. So what would we say is the defining extraordinary event of Hermione's coming into her magic? I mean, we never really find out. We ne we never really hear about any of her wild magic instances, do we? She just sort of appears. First time we see her is on the Hogwarts Express. Yeah, I guess it's just making it up. <laughs> like, so um, <laughs> let's say you know she was living her life normally, and then she discovered that her best friends were sorcerers, and so she's <laughs> like, well. I can't be left behind, can I? <laughs> Time to study up some magic. But that's not really an extraordinary event. No, it, but it doesn't have to be extraordinary. Instead of being like something big and loud and dramatic, it could just be an event which made you go from one thing to the other. It doesn't have to be a huge thing. A crossroads. If we're going for a one-to-one, -one, we could do something like Hermione was always a very promising, very intelligent child. And when she reached a certain age, age 11... Her local um, wizarding university or center of learning that has magical people in it reached out to her, basically went to talk to her parents or sent a letter and said, we think your child has a lot of promise. Mm. We want her to come and study with us. And Hermione was like, yes, bye, mom and dad. Never see you again. <laughs> bye, mom and dad. Going on an adventure for the rest of my life. Okay, have fun, sweetie. <laughs> Going on a journey for the rest of my life. Yeah, that sounds good. But I think a more true sort of exciting incident for Hermione's character would be Halloween first year when Harry, Ron and Hermione fight the troll I was about together. to say. Yeah. Fighting a troll. I was about to say that. Yeah. 
that's not when she discovers her magic in the books because she is already magical when we meet her. But yeah, in terms of when Hermione goes from being background character that we don't really know much about or really even like, if you're reading it from Harry, Harry's perspective, to Hermione, the character that we know and love and spend the next seven years with, I think when they fight the troll together, Halloween night, that's the beginning of Hermione as a character. Yeah, definitely. So maybe she was walking through the woods one day with her two sorcerer friends Mm -hmm. and they encountered a troll and she was severely threatened by the troll because she had no sort of power to be able to stop it. Mm -hmm. So she was already like, you know, a smart kid, a learned kid, so she thought she'd do fine with herself. But then when she encountered this magical creature, she realized how powerless she was in the face of this huge hulking reality. Mm-hmm. So, and because her sorcerer friends were able to help her out of that situation, it wasn't a big deal. But she's like, well, what about when they become sorcerers and move away and try to find the origins of their own magic? What am I going to do? I've got to like study up and I've got to give myself some more strength. Yeah. And that's when she decided to head to her local university or whatever and dedicate herself to the study of magic and become a witch. I think that's more true to who she is. So that's all the character stuff. Next, we go into figuring out our ability scores. I don't want to get too into the numbers and minutiae because we're mainly here to just talk about Hermione's character. But I think the easiest way to do it is just to take the six abilities and just rank them from one to six, which Hermione is best at. Strength, dexterity, constitution, intelligence, wisdom, and charisma. Okay, I would say intelligence is her first yeah by all accounts i think hermione's defining trait is her intelligence she's just able to retain so much information about the wizarding world she learns so many spells and applies them so well to every situation i think in in applying things is wisdom she's able to learn so many spells and always seems to figure out no figuring things out is wisdom ah Intelligence and wisdom are so closely linked, and Hermione has both of them in such great quantities. Mm. So what's the one, uh, the resilient one again? Constitution. Constitution. Yeah. So constitution, that's essentially, it's like toughness, it's like having emotional strength and a strong sense of self and things like that. Not really, it's more about physical strength. (laughs) None of these stats are really the emotional strength stats. Okay, what? The abilities more determine your physical and mental abilities. Okay. Things like um, your emotional strength, how you cope with the situation, your sense of identity is more something that the player would just figure out themselves because it's a role-playing game, so you play the character however you want to play them. Okay. I'm just concerned with putting Mm -hmm. intelligence as her strongest trait because there's a reason that Hermione isn't in Ravenclaw, and that's because, essentially... Her bravery, her strength, her Gryffindor heart is stronger than her brain. Yeah, that's true. So that's why I'm trying to find the trait that best exemplifies that really strong Gryffindor part of her. Yeah, there isn't really a bravery trait. I know. Strength would probably be the closest one, but I don't think, I don't think Hermione is physically stronger. Than she is smart. Yeah. Yeah. I still think intelligence is Hermione's defining trait. Yeah. Of the traits provided, I would say intelligence as well. Like, if there was a a trait that was, like, courage or bravery, then I would put that before intelligence. Mm -hmm. But intelligence it is. Yeah. Mm. I think she's more intelligent than she is wise, because although she knows a lot and 
like understands the world a lot. She's not always correct in the way that she thinks things should be. And you know what I mean? That's true. She does make a mistake. She makes assumptions and yeah, maybe isn't always ready to reconsider those assumptions in light of new evidence, which is fine because she's a child and growing in the series. Yeah. Okay. So we'll put intelligence as her number one yeah. trait and wisdom as her second. Uh, I would have said constitution as her second. Yeah, Hermione is very, very tough. Yeah, she's very tough because she, one, if you look at it from the perspective of like, okay, she's a muggle-born, so she's come to this new world and she isn't, like, you know, of course there are moments in the first book when she doesn't have any friends and she feels very vulnerable about that, but she sticks it out. Like, even though I'm alone, I'm not going to run away from all this problem. I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to be the best in my class. I'm going to work my ass off and all this sort of stuff. And when she was physically tortured by Bellatrix Lestrange, she didn't say a word. She is very tough. Yeah, she's she's a pretty tough person. And so I would probably put constitution before wisdom. Hermione never caves to social pressure. There are various times in the book where there's some kind of fight between the trio, where Harry, Ron, and Hermione have some kind of disagreement, and one of them yes. sort of leaves the gang for a while or something like that. And in the cases of Hermione, it's never because of outside social pressures. No. Whereas with Ron, I, I don't want to diss Ron here. But there are moments where, mm. because of outsiders' opinions, Ron has a disagreement and fights with his friends, basically. Yeah, whereas Hermione never does. When Hermione is fighting with Harry or Ron, it's because of some interpersonal issue between the three of them. It's never because of Rita Skeeter saying that she's broken Harry's heart or something like that. No. Ron's really sensitive to what others think of him, and that's probably because he comes from such a large family as well, and he's comparing himself to his brothers all the time. So that's um that's why Ron's like that. Yeah, but Hermione, the only sort of time I can think that she bends a bit to social pressures is when she gets her teeth changed by Madame Pomfrey. But then again, that could just be her own personal preference. Like, you know, I just wanted smaller teeth. But I don't know. Even then, I wouldn't say that's caving to social pressures because, well, I suppose Hermione was mocked for her teeth in that chapter. So maybe you could be like, Oh, well, if, if I make my teeth smaller, maybe Snape will like me, but I don't see Hermione as that kind of character. No. I think she more changed her teeth because she wanted to change her teeth mm. and she had an opportunity to do it, so she took that opportunity. I think it was more for her own sense of pride and her sense of loving her appearance, which is fine. You can change things about yourself and not yeah. be because of how you want others to see you, but just how you want to see yourself. And she said that, oh, my parents are going to be so mad. So obviously this is something that she's brought up with her parents before that time of like, oh, I want to get my teeth changed and things like that. Yeah, because both of her parents are dentists, they're very against her using magic on her teeth or on her mouth because they don't think that's a good idea. Yeah. So I, th I did get the sense that she had spoken to them about, I want to use magic to correct my front teeth. Mm. And they told her against it. Yeah, so I would put constitution above wisdom. Yep, that's a good argument. Would you put wisdom next? Yes. Because I think Hermione is very wise. Yeah, I think she is. Especially emotionally as well. She's always the person in the trio that explains how other people are feeling and how they must be thinking as well. Harry and Ron are really clueless to that. I don't know if that's just purely um, a gender stereotype, but but it's it's what happens in the trio, so... <laughs> In terms of that gender stereotype, I see Hermione as someone who's quite analytical, yes. who's able to look at a situation and assess it from all angles, including how people are feeling and how their emotions are affecting them. 
but I don't see her as someone who is easily able to connect with others on that emotional level. Yeah, that's why charisma is last in my books. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. But I don't see her as someone who has very high social abilities. No. She only makes friends with Harry and Ron when they literally go through like a life-changing encounter together. Yeah, It's not like they just met and Hermione was like, hey, I'm a fun person to be around. They were like, yeah, let's be friends. No. That didn't happen. And like, it's understandable. In the first chapters of Philosopher's Stone, she's bossy. <laughs> she's a know-it-all. She's always telling people what to do and where to go and what they should and shouldn't be doing. Like, so yeah, you wouldn't really want to be friends with Hermione Granger. It's like being friends with a teacher. <laughs> yes. She's quite insufferable before she becomes friends with Harry and Ron, where she relaxes a bit. Yeah. The moment that leaps out to me is when Hermione shows more sort of emotional intelligence than the boys is in, I believe it, it's fifth year, when Harry <laughs> makes out with Cho and Cho's crying the whole time and Harry's like, I yes. don't understand why. That's such a weird scene. We'll talk about that later. Yeah, odd. But Hermione says, well, she just lays it all out. She explains it for him. Well, Cho feels bad because her ex her boyfriend died mm. and she f feels attracted to you, but she feels guilty, but Cedric's gone, so she shouldn't feel guilty. Yeah. She's got all these conflicted emotions and Harry's like, no, I never thought about it like that. It's like, come on, Harry, use the slightest bit of empathy. <laughs> it's not hard to figure this out. I know. And also, like, Harry's supposed, Harry's supposed to be this hugely empathetic, loving character. And it's like, come on, just, like, think for a little bit. But also, um, in terms of Hermione being really emotionally intelligent and really wise, I think her interactions and her treatment of Ginny as well, because she sort of always saw mm -hmm. Ginny as this outsider to the Harry, Ron, Hermione duo, like trio. And Hermione knows how it feels to be an outsider. And because she recognized that Ginny had this huge crush on Harry, she sort of helps Ginny to get over that and to like move on with her own life. And she knew about Ginny's Quidditch prowess and all this sort of stuff. So I, I really liked that relationship between Hermione and Ginny. I love that relationship between Hermione and Ginny. They're so good. I love that you sort yeah. of, you spend the earlier books being like, whenever they stay over at the burrow, Harry and Ron sleep together in Ron's room. Whoa, that could have been misinterpreted. Harry and Ron sleep in the same room. <laughs> <laughs> they don't sleep together. They're 12. <laughs> Get your heads out of the gutter. God. <laughs> and it's always like, and then Hermione and Ginny were in their own separate girl space somewhere yeah. else. Yeah. And they're always just sort of like shunted off to the side because we're focused on Harry and Ron. And that's yeah. fine. But then a couple of books down the track, it's like, oh, and by the way, Hermione and Ginny have this awesome relationship with each other because of all that time they were just sort of shunted off to the side. Mm. Like, of course they did. They developed a friendship. That's amazing. And they developed a sort of uh, a sisterly dynamic as well. Like there were moments, I think, throughout the sixth book where uh, when Harry was having all that drama with the Half-Blood Prince textbook and Hermione was mad at him for it. <laughs> That's why I'm putting Constitution above Wisdom as well. Anyway, Ginny and Hermione had a few angry snaps at each other because Ginny's like, oh, leave him be. Like, you're not his mother and things like that. And Hermione would be like, oh, I never said I was and got really offended. And like, Ron and Harry would give each other a look like, wow, I always thought Ginny and Hermione got on pretty well. But it's like, well, no, they do have a clear sort of dynamic amongst each other and a respect for each other, but and mm -hmm. not so much like that they don't fight. Like they have, and I, how am I explaining this? My words are gone. Well, you said it in the beginning, a sisterly relationship. Yeah. Sisters don't agree with each other on everything and never fight. We do because we're perfect. We are the perfect siblings. <laughs> but other sisters, <laughs> lesser sisters, <laughs> fight with each other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
So we got uh, intelligence, constitution, wisdom. What's the next ones? The remaining skills are strength, dexterity, and charisma. I'm putting strength next. Strength? You think Hermione's more physically stronger than she is dexterous? Oh, yeah. What are you basing that on? I mean, she's really skilled at spells. That's not a strength skill. That's her intelligence. Sorry, if in terms of D&D, if you're talking about her ability to learn magic and cast spells, that is determined 100% by her intelligence. Okay. Strength has nothing to do with it. Well, yeah, then 100% she's physically stronger than she is dexterous. Why? She's buff. Like, I I'd always picture that Hermione's ripped <laughs> because she carries around a bag full of books. <laughs> a bag full of books so heavy that on several occasions it splits open and pours all these fucking textbooks out in the ground and she just sews it, she just like sews it back up with the spell and then keeps walking. There are several instances throughout the books in which she slams a door and the room shakes. Like, how strong is Hermione physically? <laughs> That's true. There are instances where she slams a door and Harry and Ron are like, oh god. I know. <laughs> oh no, we're in so much trouble. She could break our tiny bodies. <laughs> I think she's actually, like, just from the pure fact that she lifts so much textbooks and things like that, she's actually kind of ripped. I love the idea of, like, bodybuilder Hermione <laughs> just because she carries books around. No, yeah, I, she's, there's no evidence to say that she's not physically strong. Well, no, I'm not saying that she's physically weak, but I would think that she's more dexterous than she is strong. I'm mostly basing it on, I believe it's either fourth or fifth year when she starts knitting. Yeah. Because knitting is a skill that requires dexterity. If you remember, though, she uses magic to, to knit, and she's not that good to begin with. It only it takes her like a good few months of knitting constantly to actually get good at it. Yeah, but she does get good at it. That's just a learning curve. That's fine. Having a good dexterity doesn't mean that you just immediately get good at knitting. <laughs> well, actually it does. That that is what it means. Yeah, exactly. And I would say that naturally she's better at being physically strong than she is at being dexterous. Sure, she can learn to be more dexterous with uh, enough time and practice. Mm-hmm. But I think, like, on a day-to-day level, she'd be more able to kick down a door than she would be to pick the lock with her hands, not with magic. Uh, uh, Well, I suppose that Hermione doesn't ever actually have to be dexterous because she just sort of uses magic for everything. Exactly. Like we were just saying, she would never have to pick a lock because she would just use Alahamora. So there's no reason for her to develop that fine motor skills that defines dexterity. Mm. So in a situation in which she couldn't use Alahamora, she'd just kick down a door. Yeah. Because she's buff enough to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I really, I really think Hermione's buff. I'm just picturing like Mexican wrestler Hermione whenever you say Hermione's buff. (laughs) Mostly girl. I suppose all of the magical characters in Harry Potter, because they're able to use their magic, they're less likely to develop their more physical traits, I guess, like strength and dexterity. But unlike a character like Harry, who has to develop his strength because he has to play Quidditch, and that's a demanding game, Hermione is just able to compensate for everything with magic. Yeah, all right. Okay, I'm happy to put strength as number four and dexterity as number five. Lest we forget when Hermione actually full-on decked Draco in the face with her fist as well. That is a strength move. That is a strength move. (laughs) That's amazing. She decks him. Real good. (laughs) Incredible. Okay, and we're both just happy to put charisma as last. Yeah. Hermione's not socially skilled. No, she's not. She There's often situations in which she has to talk her way out of them, but if, it's, if there's ever a teacher involved, she like stutters and stumbles over her words and gets 
mixed up and like doesn't think clearly. So I can definitely see that her charisma will be lower than her dexterity. Yeah. I think that of the trio, Ron is the one with the naturally highest charisma. Oh yeah, definitely. That's what happens when you're raised around a bunch of siblings. Yeah, you develop very good social skills from a very high age. Hermione and Harry are both only children. Well, Harry had Dudley. Yeah, but Dudley was not a social partner. (laughs) Yeah, no, you're right. Harry didn't have many friends in primary school, and it's not like he was developing those fine social skills with Dudley. He was mostly just avoiding him. More like being raised with a rabid dog than being raised with a child. Yeah, whereas Ron, Ron had so many influences from all his siblings. Yeah, having to manage relationships with six other people your age, in addition to your parents, it gives you those fine social skills. Ron might be a bit of a doofus, but yeah. again, going back to that, like, when Hermione laid out all of Cho's emotions, and Harry and Ron are both like, oh god, like, I've never thought of it that way. That's more of an analytical thing for Hermione, that's not an emotional thing. I think Ron is more the kind of person who could walk into a room and become friends with everyone in that room by the end of the night. Whereas Hermione would walk into a room and if she didn't already know the people in that room, she would sit in the corner and read a book and not talk to anyone. Yeah, literally. (laughs) All right. So what's next? Now we just sort of get into the magic of being a wizard. How wizards work is that they learn spells, they write spells into their spell book. And if they lose their spell book, they're a little bit fucked because they need all of their spells written down. I can't imagine Hermione losing a book. (laughs) So I think... No. (laughs) Hermione would die before she would lose a book. (laughs) So let's talk about her spells. As a first level wizard, Hermione knows three cantrips. So these are very basic, easy spells that she can cast off the top of her head without using any of her magical energy and without struggling, basically. Right. He also knows six first level spells. So these are spells that require more concentration They drain her magical energy. They're more complicated than her cantrips, and they're the ones that are written down in her book. So if she loses her book, she kind of loses access to those spells, whereas her cantrips are in her brain, she can always cast them. But because of the fact that she's um, a first-level wizard and a bit restricted in terms of how much magical power she has, she can only cast two spells a day. So she knows six, but she can only use two per day. Mm -hmm. Let's pick the spells that Hermione can do. The cantrips for wizards. So she knows three of these cantrips. Yeah, they're her bread and butter. Yeah, these are her bread and butter. The options are Acid Splash, Blade Ward, Chill Touch, Dancing Lights, Firebolt, Friends, Light, Mage Hand, Mending, Message, Minor Illusion, Poison Spray, Prestidigitation, Ray of Frost, Shocking Grasp, and True Strike. (laughs) That was a big long list of things that I didn't explain. (laughs) Which ones have you picked? (laughs) That would be most... (laughs) I like that a lot of this episode is me reading out a big list of things that I don't explain and then being like, now here's the ones that are relevant. Yeah. Of these ones, I think the more sort of powerful spells like Acid Splash, like there's no instance in the book of Hermione using Acid to solve her problem. No. So I've navigated more towards the, not the useless spells, but the spells that people wouldn't normally use. Yeah. So the the spells that I've chosen as cantrips, I've chosen four, and then I think we can narrow it down, put it down to three. Yeah. Okay. I've chosen Dancing Lights. Definitely. Dancing Lights is a spell which basically creates a bunch of like balls of colored light on the ceiling. Yeah. Because the blue blow flames. 
the bluebell flames. It yeah. was the closest thing that I could find to Hermione creating a tiny blue flame. Yeah. Dancing lights, I think, is a perfect spell for Hermione. The other ones I've chosen are friends, which is a spell that you cast on someone for a limited amount of time, make them believe that they're your friend. <laughs> that one I chose because I think if Hermione could cast that spell, she would. <laughs> and often. She would. Oh, yes. She's not good at making friends by herself. So if she had a spell that was just like, hey, don't you think I'm the greatest? And they're like, yeah, I think you're the greatest for the next hour. And then I'm going back to the way I originally was. I think Imani would use that spell quite often. She would use that to solve mysteries. She would use that to find a solution to a problem, without a doubt. And make Madame Pince give her access to the restricted section. Yeah, loads of things. The other ones I've chosen are Mending which is a basic spell of something's broken, you put it back together. I chose that one because one of the moments that I most love in the Harry Potter movies is when Harry shows up in second year and his glasses are all fucked up and Hermione's like, Oculus repair. Actually, she does that in the, in the first movie. and She does it in both. She does it twice because Harry breaks his glasses all the time. Yeah. So I guess that's just one of the most iconic moments for me. It's the first spell we see Hermione do and... It's something that's a great part of her friendship with Harry, I think. So I like mending. Yeah, definitely. And the other spell is message. Uh, message is a spell which basically allows you to whisper in the ear of someone who's standing really far apart from you. So to deliver a secret message in a room full of people. Mm -hmm. That I chose okay. that one because of in seventh year, it's a bit like the, the muffalato or the muffalato spell. Yeah. Which allows you to have basically a secret conversation by blocking the ears of everyone around you mm. and also because of second year when Hermione delivers the message to Harry and Ron that the monster in the Chamber of Secrets is a basilisk. I would say that the message spells more on Harry's level because he's a really secretive boy and is always whispering to his friends and stuff like that and so I would give Hermione the yep. first three options which is uh, Dancing Lights, Friends and uh, the other one. What was the other one? Mending. Mending. Yeah. Yeah. Dancing lights, friends, and mending. So those are Hermione's cantrips. Nice. <laughs> Get ready for me to read a big long list again. Here are the first level spells that wizards can learn. And of these ones, we need to choose six. Alarm, right. burning hands, charm person, chromatic orb, color spray, comprehend languages, detect magic, disguise self, expeditious retreat, false life, feather fall, Find Familiar, Fog Cloud, Grease, Identify, Illusory Script, Jump, Long Strider, Mage Armor, Magic Missile, Protection from Evil and Good, Ray of Sickness, Shield, Silent Image, Sleep, Tasha's Hideous Laughter, Penza's Floating Disc, Thunder Wave, Unseen Servant, Witch Bolt. Right. That was a big long list. That was longer than the last list. So what ones of those have you picked up? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I haven't picked out six for this one. I've picked out four, and then uh, right. we can decide on the last two because I couldn't figure anything out. The four that I have chosen are Comprehend Language. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> because if Hermione had a spell that she could cast which would make her know languages, holy shit, she would use that 24 7. Well, she, she's already studying ancient runes. Yeah, exactly. She's the one that like literally translates Beetle the Bard into English. Mm -hmm. That's something <laughs> very important she does in seventh. Yeah. Detect magic. It allows you to yeah. know if there's any magic around and what school of magic it is. Hermione's very good at recognizing spells. Yes. Uh, disguise self. This one's a little bit more complicated, yeah. but 
I see Hermione as someone who disguises herself all the time, is what I want to say. It was her <laughs> idea to use a Polymer's potion. Basically, she does almost that entire plan herself. She's the one who sneaks into Snape's room to steal the extra potion ingredients. She brews the entire potion. Yeah. Yeah. And then she doesn't even get to do the important cool thing because she gets sent into a cat. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like she's someone who's yeah. often in disguise. I feel like she is a sort of investigative person where she would not be uncomfortable with acting like she was someone else mm-hmm. to find information from someone. Like, I feel like that she wouldn't, yeah. that she wouldn't really have a problem with that. There is a moment in the sixth book as well in which Hermione is the one to go into Borgen and Burt's after Draco Malfoy did to try and figure out what Draco Malfoy was doing in that shop. And she goes into Borgen and Burt's and acts like she's someone else looking for a gift. It doesn't go too well, but she's still willing to do that. Yeah, that she doesn't hesitate. She, it doesn't work, but she tries it. She gives yeah. it a red hot yeah. go. I think disguise yeah. is a good spell for Hermione. <laughs> she would use that all the time. And the last one that I've chosen for her is Find Familiar. In earlier editions of Dungeons and Dragons, wizards had a familiar. So just an animal companion who helped mm. them with their magic. Uh, in this edition, oh. you don't have that, unfortunately. But there is a spell, Find Familiar, which allows you to <laughs> summon a spectral animal. So a spirit in the shape of any animal that you like, yeah. which just sort of hangs around with you and performs the same sort of function, but it's not a living, breathing animal. So if Hermione had the find familiar spell, she would once a day be able to summon a angry orange cat named Crookshanks and have that be her familiar. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. <laughs> Basically, that's just a way to give Hermione Crookshanks because otherwise she wouldn't have Crookshanks. Okay, so we need two more first level spells for Hermione. Right, yeah. Are there any, like, fire spells or offensive spells to do with fire? There's burning hands, which is basically you make it so that you touch someone and it feels like you've, your hands are on fire. Burning hands. I think burning mm-hmm. hands works for Hermione because you're not actually burning them, right? They just feel like they're burning. You're not actually burning their skin, but you deal the same sort of damage as if you touch them with a poker, basically. That's a real Hermione move. I could see her using that in a, in a fight because of that time when she set Snape on fire. Oh, yes. <laughs> Iconic. That is such a Hermione move. She doesn't actually do any damage then because she's 11 and not really into burning people. But I think if she'd had the chance later in life, she would have just set yeah. him on fire for realsies. <laughs> Sleep might be the closest to something like Petrificus Totalis. She uses to immobilize Neville in the first book so that they're able to go after the mm. Philosopher's Stone. Yeah. So sleep and burning hands. Nice. Okay, so the six spells that we've landed on for Hermione. Comprehend language, detect magic, disguise self, find familiar, sleep, and burning hands. Excellent. I'm just trying to think of actually actually trying to play Hermione as a D&D character would be a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> These are not a good collection of spells to have. I can imagine that. It would be difficult. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now we've gone beyond abilities and spells. We get into the next major stage of defining a character when you decide on their personality and background oh here we go we can skip over a lot of this <laughs> because a lot of it are things like name gender height yeah, and weight yeah, physical yeah, appearance yeah. no we just skip straight past that we know who hermione is and what she looks like yeah. the first big important thing about their personality is moral alignment yes. the entire reason why we did this episode <laughs> we're finally getting into the reason <laughs> In Dungeons & Dragons, the alignment system is a way of defining a person's moral attitude towards their own behaviours and the world around them. Yeah. There are nine yeah. different positions on a scale from lawful good to chaotic evil. Yeah. 
most people would probably be familiar with this. You would have seen it all over the place. Mm. It's like, picture a thing of nine squares. The top row of three squares is lawful, good, neutral, good, chaotic, good. And the next row is lawful, neutral, true, neutral, chaotic, neutral. And below that, you have lawful, evil, neutral, evil, chaotic, evil. Mm-hmm. Most people should be pretty familiar with it. I'll just explain the difference between them. So it's a little bit up for debate. You can basically define each thing the way that you want to. But the way that I understand the alignment chart is that the scale from good to evil talks about how you want to treat the world around you. Yeah. If you're a good character, you want to help others and improve other people's lives and not do any harm. Yeah. If you're an evil character, you want to hurt others, destroy things, and cause pain and misery. If you're a neutral character, you just care about yourself and the people that you care about. Yes. You care about yourself, first of all, and the others that benefit you. So that might be your business partners, or it might be the people that you love and hold dear because having them around helps you. And the difference between lawful and chaotic is more about external systems of rules of order. If you're a lawful character, you follow external systems of order. So that could be the actual laws of the land, or it could be an internal system of laws and rules that you've created for yourself. But either way, it means that you believe the best way to fulfill your purpose is to follow the rules. And a chaotic character believes that the best way to serve their purpose is to break the rules. Do whatever they want to not care about external systems. A neutral character believes that external systems don't apply to them because the best way to do whatever you're trying to do is to do whatever best serves you, whether that's following the rules or that's breaking the rules, whether that's disregarding them altogether. Yeah, depends on the situation. Mm -hmm. Okay, so when I was preparing for this episode, I went to Google and I typed in Harry Potter Dungeons and Dragons alignment chart. And the first chart that that came up was one that I disagree with strongly <laughs> on several levels. <laughs> I disagree on several things. But most of the time when people lay out a Harry Potter moral alignment chart, they put uh, Harry as chaotic good, Ron as neutral good, and Hermione as lawful good. I disagree with that. I believe that Hermione is a good character. Definitely. I disagree. You disagree with Hermione being a good character? No, no, no. I agree that she's a good character, but I wouldn't say she's lawful. <laughs> view of Hermione. Yes, I also don't think she's lawful. I mean, in the first, like, the first time that we see her, she's bossy, she's a know-it-all, she wants to follow the rules and and think that they'll get in trouble for breaking the rules, and they do. But then she grows and changes, and she creates her own rules. That's very important. Yeah. So in that way, she could be lawful because she sets rules for herself. Yeah. If Hermione creates her own internal system of rules, and then sticks to those rules, then she is still a lawful good character. So a lawful good character might be something like uh, Steve Rogers. Yeah. Captain America from the Marvel Universe. Yeah. So anyone who's familiar with those movies knows that Captain America believes in truth, justice, and the American way. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that he always follows the legal system of America. So in, spoiler alert, in the Winter (laughs) Soldier movie, originally he's following the rules of S.H.I.E.L.D., his employer, they're giving him rules, he follows those rules. Later, he realizes that S.H.I.E.L.D. is not what he thought it was, and that the rules that S.H.I.E.L.D. has laid out is not what's best for him or the country of America or his friends. So he decides to disregard the rules of S.H.I.E.L.D. and continue doing what he believes is right. That's still a lawful action, 
because mm-hmm. for Steve, that's still following his own internal code of morality, which is truth, justice, the American way. Yeah. He hasn't broken his rules in order to continue acting the way he's acting, even though he is breaking the law. Yeah, right. So I could see Hermione in that level, but again, I don't think she's a lawful character. I think that she, especially because in the series we're watching her grow up and develop, she changes and flip-flops and like goes back and forth on what she thinks is the right action. So, and there are several instances in which she does things which are very quest- with questionable morality. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my biggest one is when she trapped Frida Skeeter as a bug in a jar for months <laughs> and then blackmailed her. Yeah, that is arguably evil. <laughs> that is arguably. Hermione can do evil things. Yeah. And you can you can do evil things and still be a good character yes. because it's about your overall morality, not how every single thing you do in every single instance affects you. Yeah, a lot of people see Hermione as a lawful character because she puts a lot of faith in the rules. But I think when you look at Hermione a bit more deeply, Mm. Hermione cares deeply about the rules and wants everyone to follow the rules when it suits her. Yes. When it doesn't suit her, Hermione doesn't care about the rules and doesn't think the rules apply to her. She's often very critical of the rules and the authorities behind them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In the sixth book, Harry learns the Muffaleto charm from the Half-Blood Prince's textbook. And he learns a lot of things from the Half-Blood Prince's textbook. And Hermione gets very angry and upset because Harry is basically, she thinks he's cheating. Yeah. Because he's using other information in the class that not all the other students have. And she sees that as breaking the rules and she gets very upset. I agree with her. (laughs) I agree over that. But then later in book seven, she comes to talk to Harry and Ron secretly and she casts the Muffaleto charm so that they're able to speak in private. And Harry says, uh, hang on a second. I thought you didn't like all of the Half-Blown Princess spells. And Hermione says, times change. Yeah. <laughs> so Hermione, now that they're not in a school environment where they're being ranked on their academics and Harry has a clear advantage over her, suddenly it's okay <laughs> to use the princess. Yeah extra spells and extra knowledge when it suits her Hermione is perfectly comfortable with breaking the rules yeah so for those reasons I would put Hermione as a (laughs) a neutral good character yes I think Hermione is a neutral good character Mm. because she does what is good and what is right but she does it in the way that best suits her in the moment irrespective of what the laws are she's not out there to break rules she's not out there to follow rules she's out there to mostly follow the rules when it suits her but otherwise disregard or break the rules to do what's right yeah the other key component of establishing a character in dungeons dragons is that you choose personal characteristics to define the character right so there's four of those there's the personality trait the ideal the bond and the flaw you choose two personality traits and then one each of the other three okay what how dungeon dragons does it is that it sets out a bunch of different character backgrounds like uh, Outlander, Sailor, blah, 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 blah. I've chosen Sage, which is someone who basically chooses to study and research, because I think that's the closest to Hermione of all the different character traits. And it gives you a list of example uh, personality characteristics. We can choose from this list or we can create our own. Okay, what's the list? Okay, so personality traits. I'll read some of the example personality traits that I think could apply to Hermione. I use polysyllabic words to convey the impression of great erudition. (laughs) 
I've read every book in the world's greatest libraries, or like to boast that I have. <laughs> I'm used to helping out those who aren't as smart as I am, and I patiently explain everything and anything to others. Hmm. There's nothing I like more than a good <laughs> mystery. <laughs> I'm willing to listen to every side of an argument before I make my own judgment, or I'm horribly awkward in social situations. I would cut out the last two. I don't think she listens to everyone's opinion in an argument. She's very stubborn and mm. often decides things before she hears every opinion. A great example is the House Elves Society for the Protection of Elfish Welfare. She is not willing to listen to anyone's opinion but yeah. her own. Uh, I love the first one, the polysyllabic words <laughs> to show her erudition. That is Hermione <laughs> to a T. <laughs> it is. Yeah, I think I use polysyllabic words to convey the impression of great erudition is definitely something that Hermione does. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, then I think I've read every book in all the world's libraries is a Hermione line. I can see her saying it. <laughs> yeah, if Hermione lived in a Dungeons and Dragons universe where there's like a set number of libraries in the world <laughs> and a set number of handwritten books... I can imagine her dedicating her life to traveling to every one of the greatest libraries and reading all the books there, yes. as that just being her life goal. That's everything she does. Yep. So, set. <laughs> uh, but what about there's nothing I like more than a good mystery? Nah. I think, um... No? <laughs> nah, I think books more than mysteries. She likes books <laughs> and knowledge and learning new things. Okay. Those are two traits then. Uh, the next one is the ideal. The ideal is... I guess, what you most hold dear yeah. and what you work towards. I've chosen three ideals. Knowledge. The path to power and self-improvement is through knowledge. Logic. Emotions must not cloud our logical thinking. And self-improvement. The goal of a life of study is the betterment of oneself. Self-improvement. Really? I thought you would have gone with knowledge. No, I think she's definitely because she has an ideal of who she wants to be and how she wants the world to be as well. So I think that self-improvement okay. fits into that sort of area. She wants to do some good in the world. As quoted by Hermione, I want to do some good in the world. Yeah, but I think that's not self-improvement. If your goal is to better the world, then your goal is not to better yourself. Unless you believe that bettering yourself is the key to bettering the world. Well, I see, like, with, no with knowledge, right, it's not about talking about improvement at all. It's just talking about knowledge, gaining knowledge. It literally says... The path to power and self-improvement is through knowledge. I don't think she wants... No, I... No. Well, I would think that if I was writing this ideal for Hermione, it would be something like, uh, the way to make the world a better place is for everyone to be more knowledgeable. Yeah, that's what I would, would Basically. Want. If everyone yeah. was smarter and less ignorant and knew more things, the world would be a better place. Yeah. It's okay, knowledge then. Yeah. Uh, bond defines your connection to the people around you or to mm -hmm. the things that you hold dear. Yeah. I work to preserve a library, university, scriptorium, or monastery. <laughs> I've been searching my whole life for the answer to a certain question. Mm -hmm. I sold my soul for knowledge. I hope to do great deeds and win it back. Ooh. I like the idea that she lost her soul and has to make some kind of bargain to get it back. That's not something that's in Hermione's backstory, but it stuck out to me. I think the second one works well. I've been searching my whole life for the answer to a certain question. Mm -hmm. What would the question be? Uh, how can I make the world a better place? I guess. You're really into Hermione as trying to improve the entire world. I suppose she is. Mm. Especially with things like SPW. And also like... Yeah, alright. And the way that she lives and the way that she tries to help other people, I think that that's just... 
Hermione. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Floor. <laughs> Floor is pretty obvious. What's Hermione's yeah. character Floor? I am easily distracted by the promise of information. <laughs> I overlook obvious solutions in favour of complicated ones. Mm. I speak without really thinking through my words, invariably insulting others. I think the second one. I think Ron's the one who's more likely to speak without thinking through his words. Because yeah. he does that yeah. several times. He does. So I think the second one's very Hermione. I overlook obvious solutions in favour of complicated ones. Yeah. When's the time when she does that in the series? When she doesn't light a fire with her wand in the first book. <laughs> when it's like, there's no wood. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> and also... Um, a classic Hermione moment. In terms of uh, SPEU again, like the obvious solution would be to talk to the house elves about how they feel rather than setting up a whole campaign to free the house elves first. That would like the first step should be, oh, I see a problem here with the house elves and their interactions with wizards. Maybe I should talk to some house elves about it and see what they think. But no, she she goes straight to the next step of yeah. we need to set up a campaign and we need to change all this. Yeah. Yeah. I need to enforce my opinions about the situation on everyone is what she tries to do. Also, she often, in terms of when she's trying to solve something, she'll run off to the library and try and solve it herself and then won't tell Harry and Ron about it so that then later mm-hmm. can cause trouble. Like in the second book, when she runs off to the library, gets petrified. So they never, they, it takes them ages to find out the answer. Or in the fourth book, when she goes to the library, yeah. figures out Rita Skin is breaking the law and on herself, take, takes that duty on herself to uh, capture Rita Skeeter and blackmail her, where she could have gotten the help of Harry and Ron to do that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, that's pretty much everything that we would need to do to set up a D&D character. If we were actually trying to play with Hermione, we would then go through and select all of her equipment. But I don't think choosing, like, would she use a sword or a bow and arrow is really <laughs> going to teach us much more about the character. No. The only thing that would leap out about the equipment to me for Hermione is that there's a thing in Dungeons & Dragons called a bag of holding, which is say. basically Hermione's beaded bag from Seventh Book. It's just an infinite bag. Yeah. <laughs> but you can't, you can't start the game with a bag of holding. You have to acquire it in-world. It's not one of the starter equipment. Yeah. Uh, the only other thing is that as part of building your character, you can choose a trinket from the trinket list. Ooh. And there's literally like a hundred different things from everything like an enormous scale, perhaps from a dragon, to a bronze pentacle with an etching of a rat's head in its centre. It's just a bunch of just items, various yeah. items. And I could try and go through all of these and we could choose the one that's the best for Hermione, but that's a hundred things. So I think I would rather just make up my own Hermione trinket. And if I was going to do that, I would say a small green beetle in an enchanted glass jar <laughs> is the trinket that I would give Hermione Granger. That's not a trinket. That's a war trophy. <laughs> A trinket can be a war trophy. A trinket is just an item in your possession that you can't use for anything in the game except for building your character. You can't be like, oh, I have a dragon's claw as a trinket, so I use that to kill the beast. No, No, it's just something that you carry and hold around as a treasured possession. I would say a jam jar to put her flames in. That's true. She does carry around an empty jar for her bluebell flames. But I like to think that she traps a beetle in it. Yeah, and it's never explained why she does that. (laughs) Why she does that. She carries around a jar for the flames. True. Maybe a jam jar for multiple purposes. An empty jar. (laughs) There's many things you can put in a jar. (laughs) I guess. It's just an odd thing to carry around. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. Well, good hustle. Good hustle. (laughs) Okay. And that is... (laughs) That is how you would build Hermione Granger as a Dungeons & Dragons character. Good <laughs> oh God. God. 
<laughs> I feel like I learned a lot. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Probably more than you wanted to learn. <laughs> Well, you know, I have been Jem, the confused and educated host. I have been Rhea, the host who thought she knew a lot about Dungeons & Dragons, but probably horribly butchered everything, but it's okay because I got to talk about Hermione. (laughs) Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to Podcast 9 and 3 Quarters. This show is written and edited by Rhea and Jem. You can send us an email at nine and three quarters podcast at gmail.com or talk to us separately. Jem is on our Tumblr page, podcast nine and three quarters dot com, and Rhea is on her blog, prosetintedglasses.com. Please feel free to send theories or ask questions and bombard us with so many messages that we go mad and run away to a hut on a rock in the sea just to avoid them. Our logo art is by Winged Corgi. Find more of her art at wingedcorgi.tumblr.com. This week's intro music was Harry and Hermione by Nicholas Hooper, and our outro music was Hedwig's Theme by John Williams. You'll hear from us again in two weeks. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.